man of screen. In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 94 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and we are continuing to roll through season one of Super Friends, the 1973 season, and we're going to cover the two one-hour episodes this week, The Balloon People and The Fantastic Furps, F-R-E-R-P-S. That's an acronym, and we're going to talk about what that means as we go forward in the second half of uh, this week's episode. And now, now I want to move on to... Uh, Feedback. I've got some feedback to address from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode number 84, in which I talked about the three Filmation Justice League cartoons. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. As I was a kid, I was a big fan of the Justice League of America, as it was called back then, and was excited to see them in the Saturday morning cartoon show. I don't have strong, clear memories of the segments you covered in this episode, but I do remember being very happy with the quote-unquote look of the characters, which was very true to their look in the comics. But there were some differences from the comics in the stories that I wasn't as happy with even then. For example, in the comics, Hawkman never had those power gauntlets that shot out those force beams as he did in the cartoons, nor did he have radar vision in the comics. I guess, though, that these additions were in keeping with some of the things I did see in the JLA comics. The Martian Manhunter in the comics was often used as a kind of Superman surrogate, exhibiting all sorts of powers that frequently appeared only once and seemed very coincidentally to be exactly the kind of powers needed to move the plot forward or to, quote-unquote, save the day. You mentioned the trope of removing Superman so the rest of the team can do the job. The concept goes back to the early Golden Age with the Justice Society of America in All-Star Comics. Early on, there was a rule that whenever a hero got his, or in the case of Wonder Woman, her own comic, that hero became an honorary member of the JSA and didn't take part in the adventures. Wonder Woman was the, quote-unquote, secretary and didn't participate in the adventures because, you know, girls have cooties. Superman and Batman were the first honorary members followed by The Flash and Green Lantern. I'm looking forward to the continued adventures of Superman, and especially Superboy, as the series continues into its next season. So I'd like to uh, thank Dave for writing in. I don't have anything really to add about the uh, three Justice League cartoons that I covered way back when, except the fact that it just seemed to me that they were very similar, and it just almost as though they reused the same story three times. And as for the Hawkman power gauntlets or other things, I'm not sure how many comics... uh, the Filmation writer ever read, but I'm sure it wasn't many. And I'd like to thank Dave for that little information regarding the uh, JSA and the honorary members, as very few characters initially had their own titles. Superman was the first, followed by Batman, and then I'm not sure if it was Flash or Green Lantern first, but, you know, I really don't have any strong memories of that Golden Age Superman being in the JSA, but that's that. I really don't have anything to add to that. So, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. The next email I have is from Chris Cavanaugh. He's writing it on Man of Screen podcast number 22, and he said he's been catching up, so he's uh, quite a bit behind at this point. So, Chris writes, 
I've been catching up on past episodes during my Sunday morning runs. Yesterday, I listened to episode 22, which included your coverage of No Holds Barred, wherein you commented on the episode's music. In case you're not aware, there's a CD with music from season 1 of the series. Based on its price, it's apparently out of print, but the MP3 is only $9.49 and it streams on Amazon. It's a fun listen. And uh, Chris uh, provided a link to the Amazon store. And if you want to pick that up, you are more than well, welcome to. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money, but I am going to say if you're going to purchase this soundtrack from uh, streaming from Amazon, click on the the uh, link at 2TrueFreaks.com so we get a little uh, cut that goes toward the shows and helps keep the lights on here at the uh, 2 True Freaks Network. But uh, God, episode 22, that was so long ago, I'm not exactly sure what I said. But if I had to guess, I think I commented on how much I loved the uh, main theme being played when Superman jumped into the gym and uh, started beating up all the uh, all the wrestlers. That was definitely one of my favorite of the early season uh, Superman fights. That was just a lot of fun, that episode. All right, so I'd like to uh, thank Chris and Dave for writing in. If you want to write in, email is manofscreen at gmail.com, or you can leave a message in the Facebook group. Or, uh, you know what? I haven't gotten an iTunes review in a while. Why don't you, uh, or Apple Podcast review? I believe it's called Apple Podcast now. I keep tripping over that and referring it to iTunes. But either way, I want you to send me a review over there. That'll help uh, other people find the show. So I'm going to take a quick break now, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the balloon people. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of the Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at twotruefreaks.com as well as iTunes. Welcome back, folks. I'm going to head into my coverage immediately of The Balloon People. Original broadcast date was November 3rd, 1973. I uh, don't have a guest cast listing, so I'm just going to move right along into our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. 
The travel alert barely picks up a signal of an approaching flying saucer. A family from Balloonia land their miniature spaceship in Marvin's backyard near Wonder Dog's doghouse. Batman, look! A model flying saucer! That's not mine! It's not a model, Marvin. It's the real thing. This brought them here from another planet. It looks familiar. It should, Robin. It's the same one we saw on the monitor. That picture that kept fading out. Holy Lilliputians! It's a wonder the monitor picked it up at all. It's so little. I'll say. With their ability to miniaturize, they don't need a large spaceship. I see Mama under the steps. Uh-oh! That girl is moving toward her. Oh, don't be afraid, puppy. There we go. Now I'm not going to hurt you. Gee, she caught one. It's a dog. <laughs> he feels like a balloon. Poor Grunk. He gave himself up to save me. Aw. The, the aliens meet Wendy, Marvin, Batman, and Robin, becoming friends. Thank you for being kind to Grunk. Yes, we're sorry we mistrusted you. Well, welcome to planet Earth. We can understand your caution. That's right. We're as strange to you as you are to us. We'd like to help you if we can. Thank you. I am Krim. This is my wife, Gloma. My daughter, Plinky. And you've already met Grunk. A brave little creature. We are from a distant planet, Balloonia. We've been traveling through space for a very long time. Why did you leave Balloonia? Over the centuries, we Balloonians carelessly allowed our air to become polluted. Dirty air makes our bodies weak and sickly. So you had to find a new home? Yes, where the atmosphere is reasonably pure. Say, did you make the doghouse move? Yes. Balloonians have the ability to move small objects by thought power. Thought power? Like telepathy? We call it teleportation. We can make things move, but we can't transmit our thoughts to each other. What makes you deflate? We usually deflate like this. The publicity attracts the attention of a misguided genius, Noah Tall, and his dimwit assistant, Twisty. And the dynamic duo has stated that, for the time being, the Krim family will reside in Marvin's backyard. Hmm. Very interesting, Twisty. It sure is, Mr. Tall. Imagine balloon planets from another people. It's balloon people from another planet, Twisty. All right, prepare the jet for a flight to the mainland. Okay, boy. Do you ask if I mind where we're going? We're going to capture these inflated intruders, bring them back to this island, and learn their secret of teleportation. Such a talent in my hands, or rather, my mind, will help me gain control of the world. Tall and Twisty fail trying to kidnap the aliens when they're... When the aliens are taken out on tour with Wendy and Marvin, Superman and Aquaman. The Super Friends finally suspect someone is trying to kidnap the aliens. It's strange how those construction machines moved by themselves. The balloon people have certainly had some excitement since they arrived. Yes, indeed. The kids report there was a close call on the lake yesterday. A couple of fishermen accidentally hooked their anchor to Krim's boat. Accidentally? I wonder. Tall and Twisty manage to catch the aliens when they are left with Robin. Using a suggestion by Marvin, Wonder Woman builds thought boosters. Jeepers, if only they could get a message to us. They may be trying to do just that. They can't do person-to-person -person telepathy, but they can move small things. Yes, they might be trying to clue us by activating inanimate objects. Maybe some object at my house or in my backyard. If they're being held captive hundreds of miles away, it won't work. 
Wonder Woman and I are telepathy experts. We know thought waves can carry only so far. They must be like radio waves. We learn in school, the further radio waves travel, the weaker they get. That's why they have to set up booster stations. Booster stations. That's the answer. You're right. Booster devices for thought waves. I can build one for each of us. Then we'll all separate. Spread out to different parts of the country. And if the crims are sending a signal, one of our boosters will pick it up and amplify it. We'll keep relaying it until the signal reaches the object they intend to move. Super Friends, I suggest we hire ourselves to the lab. Post haste. The Super Friends use these to amplify the signals being sent by the aliens. The signals cause the alien flying saucer, with Wendy and Marvin, to go to Tall's secret hi island hideout. Despite Tall's attempts to fight off the Super Friends, Tall and Twisty are captured. The aliens move to Washington, D.C., where, where the father is offered a government job in fighting pollution. In our nation's capital, Mr. Simon Pure, Chief of the Environment Protection Bureau, closes an important meeting by expressing his gratitude. And I promise you, Krim, we will draw up a set of rules to save our natural resources. Thanks to you, the people of Earth will now realize how much they have to be grateful for. We'll do all in our power to preserve the clean air and the other valuable gifts nature has bestowed upon this planet. Thank you, Mr. Pure. Uh, one more thing. I'd like to offer you a job with us. Special advisor on conservation and ecological controls. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Gee, Daddy, take the job, please. Well, where would we live? The government will build a specially designed home for you and your family here in Washington. Mr. Pure, I accept. Oh, that's great! Oh, poor Wonder Dog and Grunk. They've become such good friends. And now they'll be separated. <laughs> Wonder Dog, look what you did! <laughs> <laughs> Grunk forgives you, Wonder Dog. Alright, so, yeah, you guessed it. This is uh, my fifth episode of covering uh, the Super Friends, which makes this uh, episodes 9 and 10, which makes this more specifically episode 9. And if you wouldn't believe it, this makes the third episode that's tackling pollution in those initial nine. One third of the Super Friends episodes are addressing pollution. Now, I know pollution is a problem and it needs to be taken care of, but jeez people, must there be so many episodes on just this one theme? There are many other causes that can be dealt with in a Super Friends cartoon without laying it on awful thick with uh, the pollution theme. So let's uh, move into this episode proper. Uh, it starts off with a flying saucer heading toward Earth. And this is where we learn it, the family of balloon people. And what do you know, they are going to land right in front of Wonder Dog's doghouse. And the one thing you're going to notice about these uh, balloon people right off the bat is that they can inflate and deflate at will. And they're apparently not making Wonder Dog very happy. As usual, it doesn't take much to scare him, and he just kind of runs and hides. So now here are Batman and Robin acting as chauffeurs and taxi drivers for Wendy and Marvin. And, you know, I had mentioned in a previous episode that... I wondered whether Wendy and Marvin lived in Gotham City or Metropolis, and you know what? I'm going to guess that Wendy and Marvin live, if not in Gotham, then very close on the outskirts, because Batman and Robin always seem to be swinging by to pick them up. I'm sure Batman has nothing better to do with his time than to 
continue to uh, act as a glorified limo driver. So Batman and Robin and Wonder Dog show up and the Balloon family hides. Krim is the father. He hides in the yard. And ironically, Batman is the one to say that we frightened the balloon people enough. He actually says that they frightened the people enough. This is a character that was designed, at least initially when he was designed by Bob Kane. And I'm, and I'm not going to get into the uh, specifics of uh, who created Batman. Or, and I'm not going to weigh in on that controversy, whether it's Bob Kane alone or Bob Kane with Bill Finger. That is, this podcast is not the forum to address that. But anyway, he, Batman was conceived as a character that would strike fear to the hearts of criminals. And here is a very lighthearted Batman, very Adam West-like, basically saying that we've frightened the balloon people enough. And uh, they've hidden uh, inside of Wonder Dog's doghouse. So now Batman spots the miniature flying saucer, and he speculates that it is the same one that they saw on the trouble alert. So it's clear on that the balloon folks are afraid of everyone on Earth. When they puts together that when she catches one, the, I think it's the dog, and he feels like a balloon. And as they continue, Batman is hoping that they've gained the, the balloon people's trust. And they come out, and they're sorry, and Batman is functioning as the welcoming committee. Can you imagine that? Here you are, coming to Earth for the first time. I don't know why you'd want to anyway, but uh, here you are. And the first person you meet is Batman. A grown man dressed up, as the Joker would say, as a flying rodent. I'm not necessarily sure it paints humanity in the best light, but whatever. So Robin puts out the platitude that they are estranged to them as the Earthers are to the Balloon People. Very good, Robin. We're glad you're here to tell us these things and uh, offer your sage advice so that the kids do understand that when they're afraid of something, whatever they're afraid of is probably afraid of them. It's just like that mouse that tends to hang around in your pantry that scares uh, you to death when you open the door. So the uh, Balloon People come out and uh, they reveal themselves and tell their story. They're from the uh, planet Balloonia, obviously. Oh, but I am guessing the Balloonia is a whole planet full of inflatable people. Can't wait to go there. You could probably get kicked off the planet immediately if you show up with a pin. So, we're going to learn that the Balloonians have overpolluted their home planet, and they have to find a new home. Like I said, a very familiar plot line. The only difference between this episode and the episode I covered last week, Too Hot to Handle, is that the Balloon people are not trying to warm the planet and roast humanity into extinction. Like, uh... Colbar was. So, and this is the point where we meet our villain of the piece, Mr. Noah Tall. Yeah, his name is in the same vein as uh, Professor Von Know-A-Lot. That professor knew a lot. Noah Tall is quite a know-it-all. Get it? Got it? Good. Moving on. So while uh, Mr. Tall is uh, and his assistant Twisty are watching, uh, pretty much watching the news, and Batman does everything uh, short of putting out a press release, about the Balloonians and uh, where they're going to live. And they're living, going to live in Marvin's backyard. And they don't show it here, but I'm sure Batman uh, left a GPS tracker and an address just uh, in case any villains want to come and uh, pop the balloons. So, Noah Tall wants to learn the power of teleportation. Wouldn't we all? So, apparently, the uh, Balloonians can use air power to move things around as they demonstrate with a baseball and a basketball. And Noah Tall and Twisty come in... A Snoop Wagon, which is basically a van, but obviously with a name like Snoop Wagon, you know what they're going to do. They're going to use a periscope and they're going to check out what the Balloonians are up to. And uh, Tall wants to grab the Balloonian child, but the super friends show up. And when I say show up, I say they, I mean they show up via Batmobile. Obviously, you would expect for Batman and Robin to show up via Batmobile, but so does Superman and Wonder Woman. I mean, I guess an Aquaman needing a lift, but, you know, Wonder Woman has... The transparent plane. They're not quite calling it the invisible jet just yet. 
But Superman can fly under his own power. Why he's sitting in the back seat of the Batmobile, I do not know. Maybe it's a team building exercise or something. I don't know. But they clearly have other modes of transportation. So Superman and Grimm are going to bond over being from other planets, while Aquaman says they're going to take them sightseeing. Great. The Justice League, or in this case the Super Friends, the most powerful and greatest heroes on the planet, are going to act like glorified tour guides. Because, well, they clearly have nothing better to do. So, Noah Tall and his assistant Twisty are going to disguise themselves while they're on the water, because that's where the Junior Super Friends are with uh, the Blue People. And their disguises are absolutely laughable, as Tall has a brown beard to go with his white hair, and Twisty has a black mustache and brown hair. They're not fooling anybody with these disguises. So, they hook the boat, and Wendy, Marvin, and I believe Wonder Dog is there, and the Balloonians are going away, going toward uh, Tall and Twisty, but it didn't work. Uh, the Balloonians kind of used their air power and floated away. So, apparently, Noah Tall didn't see that coming. And we're going to uh, see that Twisty is bad with phrases, as he says, if at first you don't try, succeed again, and that's not how it goes. The phrase is, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And this is going to start a running gag of Twisty t- screwing up these phrases and Noah Tall getting more and more irritated, trying to correct him to use certain idioms properly until eventually he just gives up. It's a gag that's funny at first, and it's only funny until it isn't anymore, and it stops be- being funny very quickly. So, uh, back at Marvin's house, the junior super friends are cleaning for Superman's arrival. I guess I'd clean the backyard, too, if super- finding Superman was going to be showing up in it. Although I'd be initially very concerned, because only when he lands, the dust blows all over the place. It would kind of make any cleaning you do kind of... It's kind of pointless. But he is very considerate, and he just kind of walks up. And Superman is going to carry them off in the flying saucer, and with an up, up, and away, Superman is going to become a tour guide. And obviously, uh, Mr. Tall and uh, Twisty see this on their view screen, and because Noah Tall is the smartest man in the world who happens to be working with Twisty, the dumbest person in the world, he's going to hatch a plot that will require Superman to put down the flying saucer. (sighs) So basically what happens is Twisty creates an emergency that Superman has to respond to, and as they're flying, the balloonie has noticed that the pollution is coming from one of the factories, basically in the form of smoke rising from smokestacks. So as we get beyond that, Tall's plan is working as uh, Twisty uh, brings some uh, construction equipment to life under its own power, and Superman goes to save a bulldozer from going over a cliff, and he captures and he catches the empty tool and flies it upward. But then there's another uh, construction machine going over the side of the cliff. I want to say it's steam shovel. However, the flying saucer doesn't land. Instead, they save the steam shovel, which again frustrates Tall's plan. And he literally asks the flying saucer how he can capture it if they don't come down, which I guess is a fair question because his entire plan hinges on them landing. But these Balloonians are not cooperating. Once they finish with their tour with Superman, they're going to go on an ocean tour with Aquaman. Hopefully it's not a three-hour tour. So uh, once we get back to uh, the Justice League headquarters, Superman believes something is behind the Balloonians' excitement. So before they go on the tour, the uh, Junior Super Friends are hanging out on by a lighthouse waiting for Aquaman to show up. And uh, Marvin informs the viewer that SCUBA, which is an acronym for Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus, so now you know it's an acronym. I'm surprised Marvin knew that, but uh, we're going to find out that the Balloonians don't seem to need scuba equipment. So Aquaman will take them underwater, and he shows them a coral reef made up of tiny remnants of uh, dead fish remains. And 
You get to show them a blowfish, which kind of blows up like a balloon, kind of like the Balloonians do. Aquaman calls it a pufferfish initially, then also adds the uh, more colloquial blowfish. I like, I tend to like calling them blowfish. Much more fun than pufferfish. So, uh, meanwhile, Tall and Twisty are still after them. Tall is going to uh, blow a gasket here as he's getting angrier and angrier. And every time Twisty misspeaks. And rightly so, because Twisty misspeaks every time he does speak. So, maybe he should just shut up and uh, do his job. Now it's quite amusing as they pour itching powder into the ocean. Or itching acid. I initially thought it was powder, but they later reveal it to be acid. So meanwhile, as they were with the air pollution, the uh, Balloonians are distressed about the water pollution. And then they're basically attacked by an underwater, a giant underwater straw. And the Balloonians are very resourceful, and they ingeniously turn the straw against Tall and basically use it to clean up some pollution. So instead of sucking up balloon people through his giant straw, he's going to suck up shopping carts and tin cans and whatever kind of stuff people uh, throw into the ocean. And it's interesting when they talk to Aquaman about the pollution. You know, they're taken quite aback and like, how can people do this? Aquaman agrees and he just kind of, he doesn't have an explanation for it. He just kind of says, yeah, well, they do. You know, almost a resignation, resignation on Aquaman's part. Other versions of Aquaman, if they caught somebody throwing a tin can, they'd uh, stick a trident through their face. So anyway... An anglerfish takes care of the itching powder, and uh, the, the, the Balloonians are trying to help uh, get rid of it. And I love the turnabout here as Aquaman sends the itching acid back toward Tall and Twisty. So Aquaman, uh, now after all that's done, Aquaman goes to the surface to look, and he is quite shocked that he can't find anything. Perhaps earlier, when the straw was still down there, he could have followed the tube up, and then he would have found the chopper that Tall and Twisty were on. So the Super Friends really have no idea what's going on, but the Balloonians are going to lecture the Super Friends about the effects of pollution. And Wonder Woman is going to take them to Washington to meet a government official. No, it's not going to be Steve Trevor. It's going to be some, it's going to be some other kind of Washington DC bureaucrat. Now, at this point, you would think that Noah Tall would be tired of going after this for now, but for the smartest man in the world, he's getting out smarter an awful lot. So now the Super Friend is setting some kind of trap, but in the meantime, Robin is lounging in a chair. Twisty's dialogue is starting to get tiresome at this point in the episode. And Twisty is working on Plan B to kidnap the Balloonians, and basically Plan B involves blowing up a version of Krim, and it fools Robin, who runs off. And, you know, Robin is kind of, for all of his uh, big talk, he can be just as dumb as the Wonder Kid sometimes. And it looks like Tall is uh, kind of getting his way here, as the Balloonians are trapped in a cube. And apparently this uh, imitation Krim here has, was purchased at a novelty store. I don't know how long the Balloonians have been on Earth, but I guess they've been here long enough for toys to start showing up. Unless the merchandising machine really works fast in 1973. I guess uh, for this episode to work, the merchandising industry moves at the speed of plot. So with his kidnapped Balloonians, Noah Tall wants to know about psychokinetic teleportation. And basically, uh, the wife, I don't remember what her name is off the top of my head, but she basically says humans can't do it. And that's kind of the explanation. That's really all we're going to get. We're not going to get any indication of why humans can't do it. Just that they can't. But Noah Tall is going to find a way, and he's going to show how smart he is by pointing that he's memorized all of the encyclopedias in the room. So he must have a lot of uh, worthless knowledge. Knowledge. And a, and a mass knowledge doesn't necessarily make you smart. I believe I've covered that in a previous episode. So uh, the uh, Balloonians are sent to a uh, little jail cell because Noah Tall clearly has a dungeon. And it wouldn't be twisty if they didn't screw it up somehow, and he basically leaves the key in the lock. And now the Balloonians are going to try to escape, and... Or trying to send them, send out a distress call, but they have failed to do so. Back at the hall, the uh, 
Most super friends can't find the balloons, and uh, Wonder Woman just seems to randomly suggest that they are trying to move inanimate objects with their minds, but Aquaman, in all his uh, telepathic knowledge, points out that thought waves can only travel so far. So Marvin kind of invents the idea of a thought wave booster. And the plan works, and thought waves are boosted, and they figure out what to do. One of the things, one of the dogs is freaked out by the flying saucer. Wendy sneaks in, and one of the dog dives in, and it's amazing that all three of them can fit in this tiny saucer, but they do. And Robin has his transmitter going, and the saucer is going toward the crims. And, so the, and that's how they find Noah Dahl's hideout. But initially, the uh, Batcopter is driven back by a giant water gun, if you can believe that. Lovely. Aquaman, because he's the water-based superhero, he's going to fight the big water gun. And Tall is going to, uh, basically, his threat is to flood the Earth to keep Superman busy. He's not subtle in any way, is he? And it's also nice to see, as this episode is running out of time, that Tall has given up on correcting Twisty. Superman will fight off uh, Tall's Cloudbuster missiles, and then Batman and Robin just uh, show up and they literally go stiff. Literally. You have never seen two animated characters get... Not only stiff, but suspended in the air in absolute horror. So the only thing Tall can think of to do is just slam the door in their faces and run away. Which does absolutely nothing as the next thing we see is Batman and Robin opening the door. But literally, they when I say they those two guys went stiff when they saw Batman and Robin, they went stiff. They jumped up in the air on a 45 degree plane to the floor, feet out, straight line like pins, just and a look of horror on their faces. I guess Batman hasn't scared them enough. So the balloonies are eventually saved, and Tall and Twisty escape via the launch tubes. Literally, they put themselves into the uh, torpedo holders that launch the uh, Cloudbuster missiles, and Superman catches them. I guess uh, flooding the Earth didn't keep him busy enough. So for our ending, the balloonies are going to work for the government to help stop pollution, and all is going to be right with the world. And like I said, the creators of the show are very concerned about pollution, as this is the third episode of Nine to deal with the topic. The names aren't cute. Noah Tall gets old pretty fast. But, you know, the adventure was good, and it was good to see every plan of Noah fail through no action of anyone else. I guess he's not the smartest man in the world. Alright, so, with that episode covered, I have nothing further to say on that episode, so I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the Fantastic Furps. Hang around, folks. R. What's that stand for? Robin. Hello everyone, this is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording a, an ad for my, my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because... Everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to head into the next episode, The Fantastic Furps, F-R-E-R-P-S. Original broadcast date, November 10th, 1973. Guest cast includes Norman Alden as King Plasto, 
Sherry Alberoni as Princess Polly, Frank Welker as Styro, and Casey Kickson as Mike Roscope. Yeah, Mike Roscope. If you say it fast enough, it's Microscope. But for all intents and purposes in this episode, he's going to be Mike Roscope. Right in, right up there with uh, Noah Tall and uh, Professor Von Noah-Lot. So, And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Your number one source for Superman information on the web. While the Super Friends are demonstrating trick golf shots at a charity benefit, King Plasto, with his assistant Styro, uses a FERP, fiber-reinforced epoxy resin plastic, replica of a government GREPS, which is also an acronym, but not provided, the show does not provide us any uh, meaning for that. So Styro uses the FERP to, which is a replica of the government GREPS lab, to steal a delivery of raw plastic. King Plasto wants to steal more raw plastic that he will make the FERP out of out of to construct things for his ideal world, an island fur plant. At the golf benefit, Marvin is looking for a lost golf ball and ends up finding a van driven by King Plasto and his hideout hidden in a cliff. But when Marvin tries telling his super friends, he's jumbled and a trouble alert telling of the plastic that distracts the heroes. Hey, super friends, guess what? You found the ball, Marvin? <laughs> what ball? The ball Superman hid into the woods. Oh, I forgot about that. Then what were you doing all this time? Well, we were in the woods, and we saw this hack on the shell. I mean, this hick on the shell. I mean... Marvin, take a deep breath and tell us about the shack on the hill. It wasn't on the hill. But that's what you were trying to say. I know I was trying to say that, but it wasn't. Was it, Wonder Dog? <laughs> what are you trying to tell us, Marvin? Well, you won't believe this. Try us. Well, this old shack was on the top of a truck, and we were in it, and when we stepped out of the shack, the shack wasn't there. You were right, Marvin. I don't believe it. Robin, I think the lad is suffering from shack shock. What happened next, Marvin? Well, there was this cliff, and the truck went right into it. It crashed? No, it didn't crash. The cliff opened up like magic. You mean the driver said, open sesame, and it opened? The driver didn't say anything. It was the tree limb. A tree limb said, open sesame? No, no, no. Well, zonkers, you people are awfully confused. We're confused? Holy mishmash. All right, hold on. Perhaps Marvin has something important. Now, let's try to... It's our bat communicators. That code signal is a trouble alert emergency. Anyway, this clip, it opened up, see? Later, and... Marvin. We've got to get to the Hall of Justice League fast. Plasto plans another theft of a shipment and creates a killer whale and a flying saucer as distractions for Aquaman and Superman. Meanwhile, Wendy and Marvin have gone into Plasto's hideout, while Batman and Robin fail to catch up with Plasto after he steals the shipment. Examining FERP retrieved by Marvin and Wendy, Wonder Woman manages to invent a FERP solvent which is sprayed on more FERP distractions being dropped by FERP robot geese, before Wendy and Marvin and Batman and Robin begin a final assault on King Plasto's hideout. With Wonder Woman and Superman aiding, King Plasto, Styro, and Polyethyl Lane, who was providing inside information from Greps, are captured. Oh, I hope they go easy on us. Don't snivel, you fool. Fool? You got us into this, Plasto. I am your king. Now address me properly. Okay, your immense greediness. You're the one who got us into this mess with all the big talk about starting a new country. Your perfect world. Ha! There's an old adage, Plasto. No man is an island. You can't make a perfect world for yourself at the expense of others. 
Well, that synopsis was sure a mouthful, isn't it? You know, I don't write these synopses, but that was one of the most poorly written synopses I had ever read. You know, once in a while, I'll be a little more prepared and read these things before I start recording, just so I don't jumble my words too much. Yeesh. Well, anyway, you know, not a lot of general thoughts in this episode. This is actually one of the few episodes that don't necessarily have a cause to be championed. I mean, and our King Plasto, you know, he's greedy. You know, the moral of the story is that greed is bad, but he's a little more villainous than we've seen from previous villains in this series. I mean, yeah, he's crazy and his plan is a little bit out there, but he's not trying to relocate to a new home because his race destroyed its own. He's just greedy for greed's sake. You know, like I like to say when they over, you know, overwrite a villain sometimes, sometimes a villain has just got to villain. So, basically, we're going to start with this king and his court jester, and that's, uh, this is King Plasto and, uh, Styro. And he's gonna have his princess, Polyethyl Lane, but we'll get to her later. And basically, he, King Plasto wants to start his own country and make it out of Furp. Now, we have heard of Plasto before. The name was used in one of the Filmation Superman cartoons where this alien was invading Earth, attacking Superman, and basically made creatures out of Plasto. I'll be damned if I remember what episode that was, but. It's one of the uh, 60-some-art Filmation episodes that I covered. Wow, 60-some-art Filmation episodes. It's hard to believe I've covered so many. But I guess when you, when you cover four a week over 17 or 18 weeks, they do add up. I mean, I can't believe I'm already covering my 10th Super Friends episode. And, funnily enough, I haven't dropped a single episode yet. Just a little bit of a timey-wimey thing. So, the uh, FERP is King Plasto's latest invention, and it's his response to a government invention, the uh, GREPS. And the Justice League is preparing for a golf outing. Batman and Robin seem to know what they're doing with the golf clubs. Uh, Superman and Wonder Woman look like they don't know if they're going to fence or play golf. And Wendy comments that she hopes the trouble alert won't ruin their day. When somebody says that, something like that, you know what that means? It means the thing that they don't want to happen is going to happen. It's a common trope used in dramatic fiction. And eventually, and we'll get to whether or not her words become prophetic. So uh, King Plasto seems to have some eggs that stuff grows out of, and that is going to be the kind of the instrument of his villainy. These uh, eggs and which all kinds of stuff is going to grow out of robotic geese, buildings, you name it. So there goes the trouble alert, right on cue. Wendy was right. So uh, the uh, chief uh, of the Greps research has not received his delivery. It's twenty minutes late. Their departure is delayed by the trouble alert signal. This is Mr. Rosecope, chief of the Greps Research Station. That shipment of plastic we're expecting is now 20 minutes late. Sir, if it doesn't arrive in an hour, contact us at the Haunted Hills Golf Course. Yeah, you heard that correctly. It's 20 minutes late. So he calls the Justice League. Can I call the Justice League if a package I'm expecting is a few minutes late? You know, I think uh, Batman knows how silly this is. The fact that the truck is just 20 minutes late. I mean... 20 minutes could just be stuck in traffic. You know, I had a girlfriend once. You know, she lived uh, about 80 or so miles. She lived down on Long Island. I lived uh, near where I live now. And my God, if I was a minute beyond time, I thought I'd be there. My phone was going off and I could never quite get her to understand that traveling was not an exact science. And it's not an exact science here. I mean, 20 minutes late is just 20 minutes. I mean, you might be inconvenient for the chief of the lab, Mike Roscope. But basically, Batman says, give them an hour. If it's not there, call us at the golf course. 
So what I've noticed so far, the King Plast tokens seem to inflate or deflate things at will. Apparently this is our week for inflating and deflating things. And he intercepted Mr. Microscope's shipment. And here are the super friends on the golf course showing off their amazing skills, or lack thereof. Wonder Woman ricochets the ball off a few trees that lands uh, short of the hole. And uh, Superman hits the ball through a rock and then knocks Wonder Woman's shot in and then his own. I'm not necessarily sure if they're necessarily trying to get the ball in the hole or just trying to show uh, some trick shots. Batman's shot had him taking an, an acrobatic leap while swinging his club and jumping off Robin's hands. He lands in the water hazard, so that's clearly going to cost him a stroke. But Aquaman will go underwater and he'll make an underwater shot. <clears throat> it's a good thing this is for charity, although that is probably the most interesting golf being televised. So, Wonder Woman is up next, and apparently she actually said that she's too strong to, to put a ball six feet. So, Superman gave it a shot, and he putted the ball out of sight. Then he commented that he doesn't realize how strong he is. You know, I know that's supposed to be funny. Maybe it is to a kid, but it's just not funny to me. I wish it were. <clears throat> so, Marvin is out looking for the golf ball, and he wanders into a shed, which is uh, taken away on King's Plasto's truck. And apparently, uh... Marva can't tell the difference between a tornado and a ride in a truck as he and Wonder Dog can't figure out that uh, they're not in a tornado. And then there's more uh, slapstick idiocy as uh, the, the shack deflates with them standing on the back of the truck and then they can't find it. And then they somehow wind up in a tree and uh, and they see the truck go into a secret entrance and they run off. However, they are both hanging from a tree branch when the uh, door to the garage opens that lets them into the mountain. So they actually think... That they opened the secret door. So, they are going to go back to the Hall of the Justice League. So now King uh, Plasto and Styro have... And Styro, and I'm sure you're guessing, is short for Styrofoam. And they've got a bunch of plastic powder, and they will turn this into furp. And uh, it'll give them more of what they need to steal more plastic so they, they can make more furp. Within minutes, this plastic powder will be converted into fruit. <laughs> when are we going to make this time, your kingship? The things we'll need to hijack another load of raw plastic. Styro, I have to finish an entire kingdom. Buildings, cars, trucks, furniture, everything, large and small. I need all the raw plastic I can get my hands on. That's the last fact, King Plasto. Good. Let's go to the arena! So Plasto can apparently compress anything with his furp, including a truck. So he uses furp to build stuff while he's expressing his love of the material. In a minute, he's going to sing a love a love ballad. So now, by the time Marvin and Wonder Dog get back to uh, the charity event, it's over. And Marvin tries to report in what happened, but he can't even get his words out. It's just a jumbled mess. And uh, when his words about the shack were jumbled, Batman diagnoses Marvin with shack shock. Not to be confused with Shake Shack. One of the things that it becomes a trope, and especially in what I've seen of this season so far. I mean, I remember watching Super Friends when I was a kid, but I really have no memory of these episodes. So that's why you haven't heard any interesting uh, stories about childhood since uh, I've been covering uh, since the end of the Adventures of Superman. I just don't have the childhood memories of these episodes. And if I saw these episodes when I was a kid, I don't remember. So apparently uh, Batman and Robin have trouble alert alerts on their belt, and uh, basically Marvin is dismissed as uh, they go to meet with Mike Roscope. Then your shipment of plastic never arrived, Mr. Roscope? No, Batman, it did not. That's why Miss Lean and I are here. These missing shipments have created a crisis in our research program. In what way? 
For years, the space scientists at Greps have been trying to develop a new type of plastic. Stronger than steel, lighter than aluminum, and resistant to extreme temperatures. Why, that could replace many natural resources which we've been using up too fast. Yes, and our scientists were making excellent progress too. Then, unfortunately, about a year ago, someone not only stole the formula, but also the research notes and diagrams. Oh, wow! That means you had to start all over again, from scratch. Yes, and now our work is delayed again by these mysterious disappearances of raw plastic. We've had to order a large shipment from abroad, the freighter docks this afternoon. But these thefts always occur when the plastic is en route to us. Our research people claim they've never received the shipment. But the drivers have always obtained receipts? Yes, all signed with the same signature. Hmm, Roy LaPoste. Roy LaPoste. He's not an employee of Greps? We've never heard of Roy LaPoste. As chief of the Greps project, I've come to ask if you'll investigate it. We'll certainly look into it, Mr. Roscoe. Well, thank you. That's marvelous. I'm sure you'll solve the mystery. And his shipment is still late, and uh, maybe he should have gone uh, with somebody other than FedEx. UPS seems to be doing okay. I've been getting a lot of packages this week, and UPS has been doing uh, okay by me. So the government is trying to create a new material, and about a year ago, their notes and formulas were stolen. And it's suddenly a problem now. You would think uh, Mr. Roscoe here would have uh, noted this sooner, but he did not. So apparently the uh, woman with Roscope is a plant by King Plasto, and uh, she is keeping him informed of the uh, Justice League's plan. And and now uh, Plasto is going to get to work. He's going to have two birds distract super friends. One is for Aquaman, and the other is for Superman. One drops a flying saucer onto rush hour traffic. You know, rush hour traffic is bad enough without having flying saucers to deal with. I would imagine. I've never actually had a flying saucer land on me in rush hour traffic. The closest thing I've actually come to that is the one time I was driving in New York City, in Queens, on the Grand Central Parkway, right in front of LaGuardia Airport, sitting in traffic going from the Triborough Bridge to probably out toward Long Island. And I'm sitting in traffic and the car just starts shaking. I'm not sure what's going, if the world's ending or not, but eventually I saw basically a plane just flew real low over the highway and basically landed over the fence to my left where the runways were. So, I mean, I've been going the other direction and seen planes coming in that low. It's quite jarring when you're driving on the highway. But it's, it's kind of scary when you can't see what's going on and the world around you just starts shaking. You know, I didn't realize it was a plane until it was past me. But anyway, moving on from that, Superman goes out to the flying saucer while the woman smiles. I didn't catch her name. And uh, Superman kind of moves the flying saucer out of the way until it just kind of deflates. And the second goose uh, inflates a killer whale and clearly that's going to be Aquaman's gig. So uh, Batman uh, puts the receipt into a computer and to cross-reference it with all of the evildoers that they have on file, and it comes up empty. So now we're going to learn about anagrams, and uh, Batman and Wendy and Marvel will rearrange the names of La Post until they come up with something. Robin, put that receipt in the analyzer. You see, kids, this machine will check the name Roy La Post against all the evildoers in our crime file. Wow, that's super fantastic. Batman. Nothing came through. Jeepers! What'll we do? Give up? Not at all. We know the criminal exists. Somewhere there's a plastic thief who's been signing Roy La Poste on all those receipts. Maybe that name contains a clue to the criminal's real identity. A very perspicacious suggestion, Wendy. Robin, to the anagram board. First, we'll place these magnetized letters in their original order. La Poste. Hmm, sounds French. May I try one? How about... 
I've got it! I've got it! A criminal who steals plastic by mail! Marvin, that is absolutely, unquestionably incorrect. Now, let's consider this. Stop Al. How about this, Batman? His name is Al, and he's challenging us to stop him if we can. A possibility, Robin. It's worth checking out. We'll program the crime computer to cough up a card on every criminal whose first name is Al. Right. Kids, would you mind putting the letters back, please? Whew. All that mental exercise wore me out. <sighs> well, that's it. Here they are, Wendy. <laughs> hey, Wonder. <laughs> now I gotta pick them all up. Zonkers! Hey, look at this. What is it? Look how the letter's landing. <laughs> P-L-A-S-T-O. Plasto. So what? That's it! That's the name on the truck! I even recognize it upside down! Plasto, this was on the truck? <laughs> King Plasto, that's the name I couldn't remember. It was on the truck that went into the secret tunnel. King Plasto, eh? Hmm, let me try something. Roy Plasto? No, Batman, that wasn't on the truck. It was King Plasto. <laughs> ah, but let me show you something. The name Roy is obviously derived from the French word R-O-I. Raw. That's the French word for king, but we pronounce it Roy. Precisely. La Roy Post is King Plasto. Holy humble pie. I think we owe Marvin an apology, and he didn't dream all that after all. My apologies, Super Marv. Now, if you will kindly lead us to that cliff in the Haunted Hills Forest, perhaps we'll find His Majesty King Plasto, alias Roy La Post. Wendy suggests the name contains a clue, which is a leap of logic to be sure, but what the hell, nothing else has helped them come up with something. So, after all that, they come up with Stop Al, and now they're going to search for all their evildoers named Al. And then the uh, magnetic letters, which kind of reminded me of the, kind of the letters my kids have, you know, on the, on the refrigerator, that they can rearrange at will. But these letters fell by accident, and they happen to fall and spell Plasto. You know, just by accident, they uh, give the vital clue. Okay, I guess uh, we can't figure it out on our own, so we're going to go with happy accidents. So, when Marvin rearranged his letters, it turned out to not be crazy and won some respect from his mentors. Good for him. And uh, here's uh, the flying saucer sitting on the grass, it appears. Superman realizes it's plastic, and as I mentioned before, it's funny when Superman tries to lift it, the recoil just kind of sent him flying backwards, and he did some contortions before slinging his way back through on an antenna. So, he deflates it, and everybody starts cheering. Yay, moving on. Batman and Robin go with Marvin and Wendy to the Plasto Cave, and uh, Marvin has been under the impression that, like I mentioned before, that hanging from the tree branch opens the door, but it doesn't, and when he drives away, Batman hits a rock with the Batmobile's tire, and that opens the garage door. Now, Wendy and Marvin call after Batman and Robin, but they're gone. The Batmobile's too far away, and I guess uh, nobody wants to hear from the Junior Super Friends enough to actually give them some kind of communications device, because they have no way of getting in touch with Batman and Robin. And Batman, you know, doesn't want to waste all afternoon here. You know, I guess he's got better things to do in Gotham. You know, maybe the Joker's up up to no good and uh, doing something. Maybe the Penguin is uh, stealing some stuff. Either way, Batman does not want to spend the whole entire afternoon in this nowhere cave. So, when Batman mentions afternoon, that reminds Robin about a shipment for Roscope. And uh, they learn where to find the shipment from the uh, Troubler. And with now that they have something more to do, uh, Batman and Robin take deuces to the kids and drive off. And uh, Wendy and Marvin are in the bunker, and they have found the the Plasto eggs, and uh, one egg drops to the floor, and a golf cart is formed, so GC apparently stands for golf cart. So glad that they don't have to uh, walk. They uh, go into the uh, FERP arena, and Marvin compares it to the Astrodome, which 
He's only a few years old at the time. Uh, for those of you who are interested, the Astrodome was opened in uh, 1965 to become the home of the Houston Astros, who were brought into Major League Baseball in 1962 alongside the New York Mets. The Dome was the world's first uh, multi-purpose dome stadium, so and also nicknamed the Ace Wonder of the World, and at least that was then in 1965. Now, from what I heard, it's, uh, most of it's been demolished. Used to be home to the Houston Astros and the, the Houston Oilers, and maybe at the time, maybe even the Houston Texans, but the Texans vacated when they got whatever their stadium is. So, moving on from the Ace Wonder of the World there, they're going to uh, report this to uh, the Dynamic Duo, why they can't just call them Batman and Robin, I don't know. Dynamic Duo doesn't actually sound like something actual people would say in actual conversation. Meanwhile, under the water, Aquaman can't communicate with the fake whale, and he has a swordfish deflate it, and that's that. Batman and Robin see the tugboat that we saw Plasto grow earlier, and they tow the dragon away, which is, the dragon is the ship that the FERP is supposed to come to grips on. So, and now, uh, thanks to uh, the Plasto, there the FERPs, there is a uh, grips facility in the water, and uh, Plasto cons the crew, and uh, Mr. Roscope is going to miss his shipment as well. And while this is going on, Batman and Robin are stuck in traffic. Because nothing will stop the bat- dynamic duo than a little bit of, mid- of mid-afternoon traffic. This, you know, they didn't do what their counterparts in the 1966 movie did. They did not get out and run. However, Batman and Robin seem to be stuck at the right red light at the right time as they spot the, the grub truck but put the math together when they see that the driver is in his royal robes. So they give chase, you know. I guess you're trying to remain inconspicuous. Dressing up as a medieval king is not the way to go. So Plasto sees them, and an inflatable tank is sent after them. And then uh, and then an inflatable Eiffel Tower holds them off for a few minutes, and then a building kind of land just kind of grows right in front of Batman and Robin. And this one is not plastic. This is an actual solid building. And then when uh, Plasto returns to his hideout, a rock falls off of his car, and something is going to happen from that. So uh, they're back with uh, Microscope and uh, Polyethylene. Yes, Polyethylene. And she's rubbing her brooch and not at all calling attention to it. She's shaking the thing and twisting it. And you know what? Wonder Woman notices. So the Wonder Woman is trying to determine what the eggs are. And uh, Polyethyl is uh, trying to uh, obstruct. So one of the egg emerges, a statue of King Plasto. And the other robot is a goose. And she also notices the initials. At this point, Prince Polyethylene has just run off and left her brooch behind. So it can continue to spy on the Super Friends. So while Wonder Woman sciences with uh, Mr. Roscope, much like she did with... Uh, the woman from the uh, Shame My New episode, whose name is escaping me. Plasto gets desperate and deploys all of his goose eggs. And the first one drops a dam at them into the middle of the water and Superman just kind of picks it up and puts it somewhere else. Because what are you going to do with a dam if one shows up in the way? Just pick it up and put it somewhere else so that it doesn't cause some damage. So Superman then arrives at the Hall of the Justice League. And I don't think he did anything about the building that was dropped in front of Batman yet. But he's going to use flight and speed to get rid of the furb stuff now that... Uh, Wonder Woman has created an anti-FERP spray. Polyethylene, who shows up to warn Plasto about Super Friends, but they're going to be off to a private island. And this is where we start to realize that Plasto and Polyethylene have some kind of relationship, and he refers to her as Princess Polly. Had to be careful for a minute there not to say Princess Poppy, as my daughters have been watching Trolls nonstop for at least the past month. So uh, Plasto is going to take his princess off to a private island. Good for them. And uh, Batman and Robin are showing up, and uh, Rob, they drive over the egg that fell before, and what do you know? FW, they're stuck on a Ferris wheel. So Wendy and Marvin answer with a roller coaster. And literally, Batman and Robin drive off the Ferris wheel and onto the roller coaster. And then go around for a minute before 
taking off into the rest of the adventure. So when so uh, they then they go back in, they swipe a bunch of eggs, and after a big bad scrambled egg joke, the Junior Super Friends move in. So Marvin shows what he would do if Plasto were there, and uh, when Plasto shows up, he drives the other way. So yes, uh, we've noticed uh, exactly what Marvin will do in that situation. And uh, they also noticed the treachery of uh, polyethylene. So while the kids uh, kind of just drop eggs in a small town on Plasto, Batman and Robin show up and get sucked up into a deflating building. So that's when Wonder Woman and Superman show up to uh, talk tough, and they kind of spray the hell out of everything. Uh, and as uh, Polly and Plasto and Styro just kind of run around aimlessly, they run right into a replica of a jail. Nice, they ran. They actually captured themselves for the Super Friends. They didn't need to do need to do a thing. This may or may not have happened once or twice in the George Shreve series, where the fee, where the criminals captured themselves. And this is where Plasto learns that he can't make a perfect world. At the expense of others. You really can't make a perfect world anyway. The world will never be perfect no matter how much you want it to be so. So we get a few more bad jokes and Wendy's victory dinner. And then after joking around another fur bag at Lisa Thor meant to think. Turns out to be real and Marvin literally ends up with egg on his face. <sighs> so, you know, I'm not going to go out on, a, on any kind of limb and say these episodes are good. but barely entertaining and still too long. But I guess that... Ten episodes in, these are going to be what they are going to be. So, it was nice to see that Plasto didn't seem to have a noble cause. He's just a bad guy stealing from the government, trying to make his own money. I suppose there was a lesson in here about greed, but having a villainous villain was kind of refreshing. So, next time, I'm going to cover the Ultra Beam and the Menace of the White Dwarf. Until then, if you would like to send me some feedback, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. You can leave a message on the Facebook group. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.